Most of Paul's letter to the Corinthians is devoted to correcting behavioral issues in the church. He has given these new believers instruction on dealing with division, sexual sin, church discipline, marriage, corporate worship, and more. But for Paul, right behavior is always rooted in right belief. And so it's not surprising that all of this behavioral instruction is framed on either side by strong doctrinal teaching. In the opening chapters of the letter, Paul focused on the crucifixion of Jesus as the heart of his gospel. And now, toward the end of the letter, he will lift up the resurrection of Jesus as the foundation of that gospel. Paul had stressed both the death and bodily resurrection of Jesus when he first visited the Corinthians. But apparently, there were some in the church who had grown uncomfortable with these ideas. And so Paul will start this section by reminding them that this teaching is the gospel he first preached to them. This teaching is the gospel that they first put their faith in. And this teaching is the only gospel that saves them. Good morning. My name is Justin Ebert, and I am glad to be with you. Hi to you, too. Um, uh, We just got back, if you can't tell, by all the army green shirts that you've seen today from Youthquake, a week-long trip we take with high schoolers to the mountains of Colorado and truly get to um, experience the presence of God in a unique way, climbing mountains, tenting outside, rafting, and uh, we're thankful for that experience that was first service. It's kind of a cool sight. Um, first few rows and all of this area filled with students and in their chairs. Um, and we're thankful for the week that was. Many of you prayed for us. Many of you supported us financially. And truly, it was a great week. I encourage you, uh, if you see some of our high school students um, or some of our cook team, the Peasters, thanks for coming. Any of our adult sponsors that went to ask them about it. Um, Ask them um, who they are, who Jesus is, and what's next. Um, This morning, uh, we are in the beautiful, beautiful passage of 1 Corinthians 15. So if you would, turn there in your Bibles. Uh, If you don't have your own Bible, feel free to take. You're not stealing. We are giving you as a gift uh, those Bibles in the pews in front of you. Open up your app, whatever you need to do. We are in 1 Corinthians 15 chapter 15. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit, so stick with me. I'll make sure you know what verse we're going to be in. Uh, Today, I really want to do just a few things. I want to remind you, maybe some of you tell you a truth, simple truth, has eternal repercussions, remind you or tell you of a great story, and then I'm going to ask you to respond I'm going to ask you to respond, each and every one of us today. That is, unless we're wasting our time. Verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. This gospel, which we've learned about for many weeks now through 1 Corinthians, which Paul has been proclaiming to them, which he is now reminding them that they've received. 
that they've stood firm in, which is continuing to save them. If they hold fast to the word he preached, that is, unless you believed in vain. Unless you believed in vain. You do realize that this could be a waste of all of our time. That these songs could be just empty words. That that symbol behind me could just be two pieces of wood. Just a rugged cross with no real meaning. That the Bibles that hang above your head, that you're holding in your hands, it's just a sham. If the resurrection isn't true. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, we're wasting our time. And we're actually here on the wrong day. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, he's a liar. So are his disciples. The books that they wrote, not true. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, you have no peace with God. You have no hope for tomorrow. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, the loved ones that you have, which you think are in the presence of God now, are just wasting away, turning into dust. They've perished, and that's it. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we are all wasting our time here this morning. That's what Paul seems to say, at least. In verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you, you foolish Corinthians, say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Some of them, foolishly, for whatever reason, because of maybe the philosophies of their days or some of their presuppositions, were doubting the resurrection. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And I hope you know, and I think most of you do, that's a problem for us. If Christ did not raise from the dead, we're all wasting our time. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. I'm Spitting empty words I've prepared for nothing. This has no value. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised, I'm a liar. So is Jesus. So is Paul. So is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So is James. So is Peter. So is Jim. Liars, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. 
For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You have no peace with God. There's been no sacrifice to atone for the brokenness and the despair that we have. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They're wasting away their dust. Those funerals, that was it. The memories you have, Hold on to them. The memorial benches, that's about it. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Look down to 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? Don't get lost there. Baptism, you would have seen a couple if you came to the earlier service, is a waste of time. It is a waste of a good dry towel. It's an empty ceremony. If there is no resurrection from the dead. Verse 30, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You only live once, so do what you want with who you want, when you want to do it, because when you say goodnight, that's all there is. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we have no hope for tomorrow because Jesus is not sitting on the throne as king and he has no power tomorrow because he is not the Lord of this universe. The sacrifice that you make, the sacrifice that Paul has made, the beatings that he's taken, the shipwrecks that he's endured, the lashings that he's had, the stonings that he's had, the fighting that he's had to experience in Ephesus, all the difficult things he's gone through, that you've gone through, all these afflictions, any persecutions that you've experienced because of your faith in Jesus is a waste of your hard-earned tears, your sorrow, your pain, your time. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Verse 33, don't be deceived. These foolish Corinthians, someone in their midst or around them was deceiving them. And in the background, you can just hear him, can't you? You can just hear that liar. You can just hear that deceiver. You know how crazy that is? I mean, come on. He didn't raise from the dead. The resurrection, did you see him? Did you look at him with your own eyes? Did you touch him? Did you have a meal with him? If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, don't be deceived, Paul says. Bad company ruins good morals. Right behavior comes from right belief. Don't be deceived. Wake up from your drunken stupor. You want to eat and drink because tomorrow you die? Don't. Wake up. Don't be deceived. Do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. 
I say this to your shame. All throughout this letter, Paul has been going after those people who think they know, who think they know what's right, who want to pontificate about empty things and put down those who are less than them. But reality, they have no knowledge of God. They should feel shame for that because they don't believe. They're doubting the resurrection of Jesus, that which all other things rest upon, the foundation of our entire existence rests upon the resurrection of Jesus. Don't be deceived. Verse three. For I deliver to you, I, Paul, deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Within just a couple of decades, Paul had written this letter. Within just a few short years, Paul was actually in Corinth saying this very thing. Within just a few short weeks, Peter was proclaiming the same thing that Paul is getting ready to proclaim. This is the testimony that has always been in the church. It wasn't created to be some type of myth, some type of hoax, some type of weird cult that was made up as some type of power grab by some very clever fishermen and tax collectors. Something else. It's something else. It's part of a story, a bigger story, a story where there was nothing except God, and then God spoke, and everything was. But in the beginning, God created everything. He created the land, he created the water, he created the atmosphere, space, he created the moons, planets, the sun, he created the fish, he created the birds of the sky, the animals on the ground, and then he did something very unique. He created something to, like, co-rule with him in some way, to have dominion over the other things that he had created, to be in his image. He made us. He made Adam. And then out of Adam, he made Eve, the first woman. And they told him one thing. They had one job. Well, they had other jobs, but they told him to, do, to not do one thing. Not to eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what they do, you know, because if I told you not to turn around and to look at the elephant I put on that little square thing, you kind of, yeah, you want to look. I see that. You want to look because I told you not to look. There's something inside us which has been given to you by your great uncle Adam who represents us in sin and in death. Because creation wasn't the end of the story. Sin entered the world. Adam and Eve thought they knew better than their creator after having been alive for just a small blip of time on the scale of eternity, that they knew better than their father, their creator. And they sinned. And as a result, Death entered the world, and as a result, all of us have inherited this sin, and death is a reality for all of us. But that wasn't the end of the story. 
Because even in that moment, in Genesis chapter 3, God didn't destroy everything, but he made a promise. This first little glimpse of the gospel where he hinted that he would destroy the tempter, destroy evil, that he would take away sin, that death would be no more. And we see that promise all the way through the story of Scripture. We see it in Noah saving this family who was righteous before God. We see it in Abraham who he called out of a land that was his own to go somewhere new and to have this blessed nation, this people through which all other nations would be blessed. We see it in David, this king on whom an eternal throne would come. We see it all throughout this broken history of Israel where they continue to turn their backs on God just like their great uncle Adam And yet God is there, sending judgment to call them back and standing there with open arms when they repent. And all the while, it's this empty cycle because for whatever reason, there's this gap between what God has commanded and what they're able to actually do. There's this gap between the law and their hearts. They're just not able to do what God wants them to do, but God makes a promise. Makes a promise that he will be with them as their God because God, as Ezekiel 18 tells us, desires that no one would perish, but he will be just and he is holy and he will not allow someone to just simply turn their backs on him, to spit in his face because he is a jealous God, but he's a good God. He's a gracious God. And God moved first. He's the one who created. He's the one who breathed life. He is the one who formed us. He is the one who knew us in our mother's womb. He is the one who put on flesh to dwell here among us. Though he was rich, he became poor. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He put on flesh to dwell among us and he lived the life that we were meant to live. He was sinless. Though he faced every temptation imaginable, he was without sin. And then, and then, verse three, Christ, the Messiah, the promised savior of old, Jesus died. He died. God put on flesh and then he died. He didn't just pass out. He wasn't just in a coma sitting in that tomb and then somehow resuscitated because of the cool breeze of that cave. No, he died. His brain ceased to work. His heart stopped pumping. His lungs stopped breathing. Ask any medical medical professional worth their salt and they will tell you based on the evidence, the historical evidence that we have, Jesus of Nazareth died 2,000 years ago. But that's not, that's not it. That's not all that happened. He died for our sins. The third part of the story, redemption, because we needed to be unbroken we needed to be fixed we needed someone to reconcile our relationship with God and we couldn't do it on our own and so God did it God is the one who moved God put on flesh and then he willingly God the son went to the cross and he died the death that we were meant to experience he died for our sins 
in accordance with the scriptures, in accordance with the story, with this great message that God has been communicated since the very beginning. Christ died for our sins because Jesus was the plan from the beginning. It was always gonna be this way. God knew because he knows all that we just, we just couldn't help it. We couldn't just follow him. We couldn't do it on our own. We need him. We needed God to intervene. And so God planned from the very beginning, according to the scriptures, to send Christ to die for our sins. And then he was buried. Buried in a tomb. Some of my friends got to go to that tomb, a little jealous. Some people like to say, maybe that's not the right tomb. Maybe they got it wrong. Maybe the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, didn't go to the right place. Any moms in here? Moms, let me see those hands. Hi, Miss Joy, good to see you. Moms know everything about their kids, right? Okay, my mom likes to know, remind me when I get fluffy, okay, make sure I'm eating well. They know all the curves of their face. They know the feel of their hair. They know their laugh. They know their strengths, their weaknesses. And any mom who's lost a child knows exactly where they're at. Knows exactly where they're at. Any of you who've lost a friend know where they're buried. You remember that funeral. It's not a guessing game. They didn't go to the wrong tomb. It was their son, it was their brother, it was their friend. The one they thought that was gonna like deliver them into this new kingdom, though they didn't quite understand it. They didn't go to the wrong tomb. And then he was raised. God raised him from the dead on the third day. Friday, he was buried. Saturday, he was dead. Sunday, he rose. And that's why we're here. That's why we celebrate together every week the resurrection of Jesus. The third day. That's not it. All of that, again, according with the scriptures, that redemption through the cross and because of the resurrection, now the restoration is beginning and will come fully someday. And then he appeared to Cephas, the Aramaic name of our friend, the loudmouth Peter, who had denied Jesus and then needed Jesus to come and ask him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter, getting increasingly like, Frustrated slash, okay, yeah, I love you, I love you, I love you. Peter, our boy Peter, the one, the rock, the church would be built upon. Then Jesus appeared to the 12, not Judas, okay? Judas had his own problems at that point, okay? This was probably the original 11, and then Matthias, who was added in Acts, one who had been with Jesus and seen Jesus, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time. 500, most of whom are still alive. Like, 
Paul was writing this and could see faces and he had had conversations and heard stories of people who had seen Jesus just like he had. Though some had fallen asleep. Oh, what a way to put it. What a euphemism. Because Paul doesn't believe that death is the end of the story. He believes something. He believes that we are here for a reason. He believes that Jesus did resurrect. That there will be a resurrection from the dead. That they have fallen asleep and that those in Christ will be raised again someday. Then he appeared to James. James, the half-brother of Jesus. You've probably heard it before, but what would it take for your brother or for you to worship your brother, your half-brother or sister, to think of them as your Savior, to submit to them as your Lord? Probably only a resurrection from the dead in combination with them doing miracles, in combination with them having this miraculous birth story, in combination with the things that they had said during their lifetime, in combination with the promises that had been made of them through the Scriptures. James, the one who had quite clearly not been on board with all that Jesus had been saying during his lifetime, then submitted to him as his Lord and Savior because he appeared to him. He resurrected, and then he appeared to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, as to a stillborn child, as to a baby who didn't live outside of the womb. He appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Any of you felt that way? You ever felt like Paul, just not quite worthy enough of God's love? If the people only knew the things that I had done, if they only knew how much I disappointed God, if they only knew all the stupid things that I've said, all the stupid things that I've done on what I thought was behalf of God, then they would feel like I do not worthy of this. And at some level, we're right. I'm right. You're right. If you feel that way at some level, we're not worthy. We couldn't do it on our own. We couldn't earn God's favor by doing the right thing and we couldn't push God away by doing the wrong thing because even while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. When Jesus died, he knew your sins, past, present, and future. He knew. He knew Paul and he came to Paul And by the grace of God, verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not, I was so smart, I finally convinced God that I knew enough. Not, I had done so many good deeds that finally God was pleased with me. Finally, I had read my scriptures so many days in a row, I finally, but by the grace of God, Of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. That's not in vain. Romans 5 2, you saw it at the bottom of the screens during one of our songs, says this Through him we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. God has given us this free gift, this beautiful thing, this grace, this forgiveness, which he's openly and freely holding out before you. 
And he says we have access to that by faith in the crucified and resurrected and someday returning Jesus who is right now standing the throne, the right hand of God. We have access by faith to that grace. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. This preaching that Paul did was not in vain. The grace that God had given him was not in vain. The faith that the Corinthians had was not in vain. We are not here wasting our time because, verse 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. We have hope in tomorrow because we know Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God as our King, as our Lord, and that he resurrected as our Savior. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Those who have fallen asleep, those that are in Christ. Jesus is like the first fruits of them. In Leviticus chapter 23, which I know all of you read for your quiet time this morning in the Jesus Calling devotional, shares a little story, a command of God about this first fruits. The feast of the first fruits. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. Just like there in Leviticus 23, as they wave the first fruit of the harvest, Jesus is the first to rise. And then come all those who are in him. Just like there in Leviticus chapter 23, this burnt offering, the spotless lamb, makes it possible that they have some type of access to God, though it wasn't complete. Jesus, now the complete, sinless, bloodless Full of blood lamb, the lamb of God, makes a way for us to have an eternal relationship with God. Here's what he continues to say in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 20, that's chapter 12. That was gonna be real strange, folks. All right, uh, verse 21. For as man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Okay, he's getting into this story. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Adam, a representative of all of us, brought sin into the world, death into the world. And Jesus, as now a new representative, a better, a greater, Adam has now come and as a representative of all those who are in him, has brought life. Brought life. 
Verse 23, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Christ is the first to resurrect. Then at his coming, the parousia, the return which we await, those who belong to him. The first fruits are waved up in the air and God is accepting it. Jesus has resurrected and then the harvest comes. And then we, though all those who have died in Christ, are resurrected from the dead. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, every power. You heard it in a song again today. Romans chapter eight, verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We look forward to when Jesus will put everything that stands between us and him away. That'll be a great day. No more persecution. No more affliction None of it. Because Jesus, as is promised in the Psalms, will have everything put under his feet. In verse 25, he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. He's reigning now, and he will continue to reign until he returns. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You've seen the movie, you've watched Avengers, you've played the video games, you always wait to the very end and you play the big boss. The hardest one to beat, the mastermind behind it all, and the thing that Jesus destroys last is death. Death. That end note that brings so much fear to all of us. That he is conquered, that he's defeated, that God raised him up from the last thing which Jesus destroys is death. Verse 27, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things under, um, in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. What? Okay. Okay. Jesus is God, God the Son. Jesus is eternal. Jesus and God are of the same being, but there's this mysterious tension where Jesus is willing to submit himself to the Father. They are somehow equal, and yet mysteriously, Jesus is willing to say, I'm going to submit to you, Father. I'm gonna go and put on flesh and go to that stinky, disastrous earth. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna submit to you, Father. I'm gonna point everyone back to you. I'm gonna go to that cross willingly because I know it's your will. And then at the end, when we're resurrected, he's going to destroy all these enemies, all these powers, all these authorities, and then he's gonna deliver this perfect, blameless church, this bride, this kingdom to the Father. He's willing to subject himself to the Father. In so many ways. And then God will be all in all. Right now, 
Our band is gonna come up and our men are gonna go to the back to get ready to serve communion. And it's time to respond. Some of you have received. Some of you have stood firm. Some of you are continuing to be saved by the gospel that has been preached. I consider you a brother and I consider you a sister. And whenever the trays pass in front of you, take the bread and take the juice and hold on to it. If, 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 as Paul says, you hold fast to the word that is preached to you. If today you are willing to say today and every day that you believe that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, that he's returning someday, that you are willing and ready to commit your allegiance again today and every day to him alone. If you're willing to do that, take that bread that represents his body and take that juice and hold it and we're gonna take it together as a response to who God is and what he has done in and through Jesus, in and through the good news. But if you haven't, like if you've never made that choice, if you've never submitted to Jesus as your Lord, if you've never believed in him as your savior, if you've never fully given your allegiance to him and been baptized as a part of this family, don't take that cup. Don't take that juice, but you have to make a choice. We don't usually do this at this church, but this Sunday, how can you not? The gospel's there before you. And if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus as the Lord and Savior, the, the God in the flesh one, the one who is the Son of God, who's reigning as the eternal King of the universe, then you have no hope in tomorrow. And to be honest, I'd like to hang out with you forever. And I know Jesus would, because he died for you. And he's gonna come back to get me. He's gonna come back to get my brothers and my sisters, those who've died, those who maybe are still yet to be born. And I want him to come to you too. But I can't force you. And God's not gonna force you, but God has moved. God has moved. He created you. He gave you life. He made you in his image. He formed you in your mother's womb. He, he put on flesh and died for you. And he is the only one who can give you hope past your last breath on this earth. So if you want to follow Jesus, to give your allegiance to him, I'll be up front. Paul will be up front. Morgan will be up front. Come talk to us. We want you to be part of this family. For the rest of us, let's join in communion together. As the men come forward, take that cup, take that juice. At the appropriate time, take that. Remember the blood that was spilled. Remember the body that was broken. And say yes to Jesus today and every day. Right after we take communion, the men are gonna come back out and we'll have the opportunity as brothers and sisters in Christ, the one who became poor though he was rich, to submit our finances to him. 
to give back what he's already given us as a response of worship. And then if that's not enough, we're gonna sing to him. We're gonna sing to our resurrected Jesus who is now living and at the right hand of God. So stay seated. Stay seated until these are passed. Stay seated until the offering trays are passed. And then when it's time to sing, you can stand, you can sit, you can get on your knees, you can shout, you can come forward and give your life to Jesus to say yes to Jesus today and have hope in tomorrow. Whatever you do, worship God who will be all in all, whether you believe it or not. I'm gonna read Revelation 21 as the men finish passing out the trays and then we'll take this bread and juice together. <clears throat> 